right, welcome into Surviving Paradise, the podcast that takes a sometimes serious, sometimes humorous look at the claim by Jehovah's Witnesses that they are living in a modern-day spiritual paradise. I invite you to hold my hand. Let's walk through it together. I am your host, Stacy Bauman, former elder, ministerial servant, most importantly, a kid raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses throughout the 70s and the 80s. As I do, warning, we try to have some fun here. We try to heal. Lots of hugs, laughter, maybe a few tears some weeks. All of that is meant to be informative and is never meant to offend. We like to hand out hugs as much as we do hand out sarcasm. So we want to thank you for being here. Please stay, no matter what stage or what curiosity you have about Jehovah's Witnesses. But to get a little deep this week going to get a little deep. Anyone who listens to the show knows I like to have fun. I like to laugh. I find it very healing. It keeps me sane. But this week, I really want to explore something that has always troubled me. I guess that's a very, very soft way of putting it, so to speak. But I also get lots of messages on this. And I find that in an odd way comforting to know that I myself am not alone. And also to know that there's so many wonderful thinking people that are trying to break free from some of this. But let me just start out with this. There is a lot a person loses by associating with Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm very open that I believe Jehovah's Witnesses to be a cult. Now look, not everyone agrees, including other people that have left the religion. But I personally firmly believe Jehovah's Witnesses to be a cult. And I'll say here that they probably didn't start out that way. If you trace their history back to Charles Taze Russell, otherwise known as Chuck on this show, and you truly dig into it, many of us reach the conclusion that he was nothing more than an opportunist and a whack job. That's my take. It's difficult to pin what Jehovah's Witnesses have become on good old Chuck. He just seemed to love himself some pyramids. He claimed to have the cure for cancer. He loved suing people, including newspapers that questioned him. He defrauded his wife. And well, in probably one of his finest moments, he really liked himself some good miracle wheat which he advertised at $60 a bushel in the Watchtower back when they had advertisements. But you can throw all of that out because he was chosen by Jesus to speak to mankind, allegedly. And well, Jesus apparently went gluten-free at some point because the miracle wheat soon disappeared. (laughs) In my opinion, Russell was a nut job, businessman and an opportunist with a pretty healthy ego. In my opinion, the organization of Jehovah's Witnesses gained cult status under the next guy, Judge Joe Rutherford. Himself an opportunist, businessman, and might I add, a lover of booze. But he was shrewd. He clearly knew how to leverage people's emotions. And look, every good cult leader does. It was under the judge that the organization created the infrastructure for what I consider to be a cult, albeit a subtle version of a cult which only speaks to either Joe's genius or his dumb luck. I'm not sure which, because no one deserves credit for effectively manipulating people. 
And so there it is. In my opinion, Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. You have a lot to lose with them. And while we could point to any number of reasons why, there is one reason that I've thought long and hard about during my exit and even the subsequent years that I've been out of Jehovah's Witnesses, of which is about 14. And I want to hear explore it. Full disclaimer, I've always had a little trouble defining it or even conveying or communicating exactly what I mean, but I'm going to give it my best shot as I try to do. It's different for each person that was or is currently a Jehovah's Witness. I say that because I would imagine that the experience of what I'm about to describe is different in many ways for someone born into Jehovah's Witnesses versus someone who studied the Bible with them and became a Jehovah's Witness later in their life after they've matured or become an adult. And look, it's all so subtle. It's masterful. And frankly, it's evil. That's my opinion. There is a long list of things you lose by associating with Jehovah's Witnesses, but nowhere is their cult status more evident to me personally or more devastating than when you consider how Jehovah's Witnesses lose a sense of self. A sense of self. Even more devastating is that for those born into this religion, they may never have even developed a sense of self. The loss of self or identity, as you will come to see, agree, or not, is devastating. We are truly, as human beings on this rock floating through space, we are really nothing without a sense of self. Our personal identity marks us as the one and only throughout all the streams of time. Let that sink in. It's humbling. And frankly, it's awe-inspiring to think that there will never be another you. There will never be another me. Maybe some people are grateful for that. But that is awe-inspiring. Scientists estimate that there is a one in 400 trillion chance that we are ever even born. We are miracles. Our sense of self, our identity, who we are, is a masterpiece. It will never be copied. It will never happen again. From Heather Cherry, Women's Media in Forbes, June 16th, 2022, I thought she said it so well here. She said, quote, Having a solid sense of self is essential to your overall well-being, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health, fueling your recognition of your worth. Lacking a strong sense of self can make it hard to know what you want. Forging feelings of uncertainty or indecisiveness for important decisions. As a result, you may feel that you are drifting through life, carried by other people and circumstances rather than momentum. End quote. Really well said when considering self, identity. We're nothing without it. Each of us, nothing without it. 
I guess you could say we're just a meat sack. <laughs> and consider what an incredible miracle that we really are and that it will never be repeated. And then celebrate. Celebrate. It's incredible. But she went mentioned there in her comment that without a sense of self or having your sense of self taken from you can leave you lost, drifting through life. But imagine now if you could gain control of a person's sense of self. What does that look like? What would be the impact on that? Why would anyone want to take someone else's sense of self, whether on purpose or even by accident? What is included with having a strong sense of self, of identity? I got to tell you, it's not hard to take it. It's not hard to take someone's sense of self. You just set in motion some claimed authority. You add some fear. They get you on a daily physical and mental hamster wheel. And voila, your sense of self is being eroded. It erodes to the point where you not only lose it, you don't even recognize it. Gone. Stolen. My guy Albert Einstein, excuse me, once said, quote, How many people are trapped in their everyday habits? Part numb, part frightened, part indifferent. To have a better life, we must keep choosing how we're living. End quote. And if Albert Einstein doesn't impress you when speaking of your power of self or your identity, what does Jehovah say? What does his son Jesus say about each of us and our unique sense of self? At Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8, we get this, quote, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. End quote. Wow. Each of us, that one in 400 trillion, are the work of Jehovah's hands. He molds us. Jesus follows that up to back up Dad at Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31, where he tells us that all the hairs of our head are numbered. Seems like he knows a few details about us and our sense of self. They both seem very invested in us, and who we are as people. And so with all of that in mind, from Albert Einstein said, quote, to Jehovah, right down to the king of Jehovah's Witnesses today, Jesus, I'm going to make a series of bold, bold statements today. This is going to be a deep one. First, I don't think Chuck Russell set out to steal our souls. But I definitely think the second guy did. And the ability to steal a person's persona, their feelings, their psyche, memories, motivation, personality, desires, identity, and so much more were truly perfected by Judge Joe. By putting Jehovah's Witnesses under an avalanche of messaging, weekly meeting schedules, false narratives on saving others and the planet, and so much more. And of course, 
I compared all of my own thoughts on this to the magic book known as the Bible. And of course, the one person I was supposed to look up to my whole life, Jesus Christ. So imagine how confused I was as a Jehovah's Witness after reading this. At Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, quote, quote, excuse, come to me, all you who are toiling and loaded down, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am mild-tempered and lowly in heart, and you will find refreshment refreshment for yourselves for my yoke is kindly and my load is light end quote i can only say here that i guess judge joe rutherford missed the memo was probably distracted and pissed off at the hair growing on his chin or jesus changed his mind after choosing his earthly corporation because there's no other way to say it for Jehovah's Witnesses, loads got heavy, real heavy. And in so doing, Jehovah's Witnesses throughout the last century, right up to this very moment, face a steady erosion of self. How to explore it all? I'm not sure. I'm trying, but it's very real. And it's not by accident, people. It's by design. Let me prove that comment. Let me ask anyone listening, take a minute, really take a minute, wherever you may are, be safe. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself during a congregation meeting just looking around at everyone? You just look around. The meeting is horrifically boring, as most of them are. But you find your mind drifting and you start to look around at your fellow audience. What did you see? Tell me if you've noticed the following in yourself or in others while sitting in a kingdom hall at a meeting. Spacing out. Daydreaming. Glazed looks. <laughs> staring. Your mind going blank. Your mind wandering. The sense of the world not really being real in that moment. A feeling that you're watching yourself from the outside. Detachment from self or identity. A somewhat out-of-body experience. Or disconnected from your surroundings. Have you ever noticed any of those feelings? In any environment with Jehovah's Witnesses? And might I add, outside? Associating with other Jehovah's Witnesses? Just yourself personally? Well, I have news for you. Everything I just said to you is a list of symptoms from the University of Washington's Harborview Abuse and Trauma Center for defining disassociation, identity crisis, and a loss of self. First, I'm not speaking in absolutes. I'm sure other people, even the non-religious, daydream or space out or disassociate from time to time. But second, be honest with yourself how many times you notice this in a Jehovah's Witness inside or even outside a kingdom hall. Disassociation, a zombie-like look, 
an inability to know how they feel. But have you ever asked why? Were you like being constantly questioning how or why this is happening to the happiest people on earth who are set to walk into perfect health on a paradise earth and live forever? And trust me, I'm the king of disassociation. I used to do this while I was the watchtower conductor. Not kidding. I not only disassociate, but while the brother to my right was reading the paragraph, I'd look out at the audience. My own mind drifting to see what everyone else was doing and what and how they were reacting, if we were connecting. It wasn't like I was projecting or only observing it in all my fellow Jehovah's Witnesses while feeling great about myself. No, I was right there with them. It didn't matter that I was on stage leading them. I was there too. I too seemed to have lost my way many, many times. I questioned who I was, what I liked, why I liked it, what I wanted, why I wasn't going for something I wanted, or maybe the worst one of all, why is every day Groundhog Day? Why am I on autopilot? Why does everything feel the same? Why did I find the Truman Show oddly validating? <laughs> These are all things that ran through my mind, oftentimes from the stage. Not kidding. And frankly, while it's easy to make light of some of this and you have to to stay sane, let's be honest. We just read from psychologists, from doctors, this stuff is serious. But how about my own brand of answers to some of those questions? In a 2018 interview with the Daily Mail, Dr. Alexandra Stein said the following, quote, the aim of cults is to isolate you and trap you in that isolation. They create chronic stress, which causes trauma. Trauma leads to disassociation, a state in which you cannot think about your own feelings. In that gap, the cult can insert its ideology and tell you what you are feeling. End quote. Does any of that sound familiar? Eventually, somehow, some way, I personally took inventory on my life. In order to do that, I had to break it down to putting my life under a microscope in one-week increments. Here we go. You're going to journey into my head if you're listening to this show. It's very, very obvious once you're out what is happening, as the good doctor there just told us. A gap is created, and in that gap, ideology is inserted, and you're told what you're feeling. So again, back to me breaking free of this, if even in moments of time, in split seconds, putting my life under a microscope in one-week increments. And are you at all interested in learning what I found? Well, stay tuned. Here it is. <laughs> Keep in mind that what I'm about to share with you, examining my own life and what created gaps and where I lost my sense of self, all came from. But during this time, each day, as what I'm about to share with you, included a full-time job. Gotta have that. I was a father. I was married at one point. All of that comes with what I'm about to share with you. 
And might I add, what I'm about to share with you doesn't include judicial meetings, doesn't include preparing for them, people's lives are in your hands. It doesn't include shepherding calls, people's lives are in your hands, or just random phone calls, people desperate for help or in pain. Here's what I found. Saturday, conduct the book study, go out in field service. And of course, I took the obligatory coffee break. It was the only joy I had. <laughs> Sunday, conduct the watchtower study, give a public talk. There were times I did both on the same day, either in my own congregation or I conducted the watchtower in ours and I drove to another one and gave a talk. Monday, prepare my parts for the theocratic ministry school. Things like the instruction talk, the Bible highlights. Tuesday, prepare my service meeting part. I often also had a service meeting part on the same meetings or times that we had the theocratic school doubling up. Wednesdays, give my theocratic meeting part. Oh, also give my service meeting part. Thursdays, prepare for book study group that I was conducting for Saturday morning. Friday, prepare the watchtower study for conducting on Sunday. Saturday, conduct the book study field service and a cup. There it is. When I put it under the microscope, I realize the gaps were being filled. And as a kid born into Jehovah's Witnesses, taught from the toddler age, all things Jehovah's Witness, and then moving into a schedule like the one I just related to you as an adult, it began to hit me in my late 30s that I had no idea who I was. And it's emotional. It chokes me up when I think about it. They most certainly told me who I was and what I was feeling. Coupled with being a child of divorce, growing up poor, puberty, self-esteem issues, and everything else that comes upon all of us, and did I mention I got married at 19 years old? I had no clue in my life as a Jehovah's Witness who Stacy was. And full disclosure, full disclosure in a moment of vulnerability, I still struggle with this sometimes but I know where it came from. The gaps were being filled in how I was building my sense of self. And they were being filled by a cult. As Dr. Alexandra Stein said moments ago in the quote I read you, they told me who I was and how I felt. In me, they had created a zombie with very little sense of self. The things I loved were in the background are gone, or I felt bad about them. Can you relate? And so there was a reason I would let my eyes drift around the kingdom hall during a meeting. Was I alone? Was anybody else feeling the same way? Am I really even here? Is this all a dream? Am I in the matrix? Is this real? I'm almost certain I'm not alone in expressing vulnerably those feelings. Your time as a Jehovah's Witness erodes you. And how do I even explain this dynamic? 
and I hope you're at least following along on this long ramble, but I hate to think any precious soul can relate to this, even though I know they can. I know you can. It's awful. Of all the things Jehovah's Witnesses steal from people, I rank time and the sense of self as the most criminal. And don't get me going on the fact that this is happening to children. I was one of them. Many of us, possibly listening, were one of those kids at one point. But not a surprise. Why does this surprise you? In an odd, conflicting paradox, we open the book and we're told from the stage that Jehovah drowns babies. And he kills children with no help of a resurrection. It's in the book. So what's the big deal about an organization stealing your sense of self? Or at least creating the dynamic where you lose your sense of self. It's almost minor compared to the book we're told to read. If you're born into Jehovah's Witnesses, there is a very good chance you never, you never develop a healthy sense of self or who you are. I know there's witnesses sitting in kingdom halls tonight doing this. You're exposed to it all as you enter the world as a kid, oftentimes by well-meaning parents who just want their kids to live forever, ride an elephant, and eat their fruits and vegetables, who very often, as parents, are victims of having their identity stolen at some point as a Jehovah's Witness. What a scam. Nowhere does the devastation of a loss of self become more evident than the moment you leave Jehovah's Witnesses. Do you know what I speak of? Can you relate to this if you've left? You're suddenly thrust into a world with little to no sense of identity outside of your publisher card and your ability to highlight a watchtower. The world suddenly looks very, very different when you leave. The governing body leverage your loss of self regularly, and they do it even by leveraging Jesus, the king. His words at John 6, 68-69, when Peter asked him, to whom should we go if we want to leave? And they very subtly replace it with, where will you go if you leave? Twisting Jesus' words to get you to guess what? Stay. Jehovah's Witnesses, the governing body, whether you were a child exposed to them or took a Bible study and learned later on, they've created an emotional toddler and turned them loose in a busy train station. Lost and confused for anyone who leaves Jehovah's Witnesses, they only want their mom and dad. And guess who that is? <laughs> you know. And tragically, folks, for many, they never recover. They never recover. And it all started inside a kingdom hall, whether as a kid or as an adult, with these guys stealing and eroding your sense of self. Depressed yet? <laughs> I am. And I don't take depression or disassociation lightly whatsoever. Trust me. Very serious. But it illustrates how heavy this subject is 
when it comes to your identity, yourself. And aside from the weekly schedule of keeping your brain on ice, how does this happen? How does this happen to good, smart, wonderful, kind people? It's as if, it's as if they're actually encouraging from the stage mental and emotional disassociation. Wouldn't you agree? They're actually encouraging. Everything's out of reach. Everything's in the future. Nothing can be proven. Just take our word for it. If you leave, you're dead. And by the way, all the people you know sitting around in this kingdom hall disassociating right alongside you will shun you. But how do they do it? It's all in the messaging. It's all in the messaging. And let me tell you, what makes this subtle and evil is that it goes well beyond the obvious. But first, let's look at the obvious. Jehovah's Witnesses are taught early and often not to trust themselves. Yourself. They're taught to not trust their feelings, their gut, their thoughts, none of it. And again, if you're exposed to this as someone born into Jehovah's Witnesses, cue the adult dysfunction, cue the depression, the malaise, the congregation filled with zombies. It all works against how the human brain works, which is to highly value ourselves and stay alive. Even that is seen as weak thinking among Jehovah's Witnesses, because if you value your life over the organization, well, guess what? You lack faith in the resurrection and therefore may start doubting whether you'll make it into the new order or even deserve to be there. Isn't it something how I can reel that off? 14 years out and the conditioning is baked into me. It's baked into me. And if you don't believe this, take a look at children who need blood, but choose to die instead. Take a look at the Holocaust. Or how about Africans dying instead of carrying a piece of paper in the 70s and 80s? It's all baked into them. It is filling the gaps in a sense of self. For Jehovah's Witnesses watching on as they sacrifice their self, and in many cases their lives, the thinking is only reinforced in the survivors as heroic and no big deal. You'll soon be making banana bread together in paradise. There's no reason to be upset about this. There's no reason to be upset about a teenager who was exposed, who lost their sense of self, who's fighting against the very real desire to live but won't take blood. Now, you'll all be cutting up watermelons soon in a pair of khakis. Meanwhile, that person or persons are gone. And folks, look, not fun to say it, but they're gone forever. And your subconscious brain, for many of us who've left who are sitting there looking like a zombie disassociating in a meeting, our subconscious brain somehow knows it. And it sends you into a dark place, therefore the trauma and disassociation. Do you agree? Have you seen this? For those bought into the JW.org plan, they become one of those people sitting in the kingdom hall with incredibly vacant eyes. I saw it from the stage. 
I saw it in the mirror. But back to the messaging. Humans are insatiable. We don't have time to dive completely into the human condition. I'd love to do that, as you know, when discussing self. But it bears repeating that you can't even define a sense of self without stacking life experiences. You got to live. You got to live. And sometimes that means making decisions that aren't in your best interest or weren't a great decision or cause some harm or discomfort. That's part of the gig. None of us like it. I don't think anyone loves it. <laughs> but you have to stack life experiences as you build self. And let me give you an example. It's simplified, okay? Very simplified. A person, almost always a kid, but a person says, I hate sushi. First, you're nuts. <laughs> Hope I'm not offending a sushi hater out there, but sushi's amazing. You're nuts. But, but then you learn that that same person who hates sushi has never even tried sushi. We're all guilty of this. Kids are really good at this. I know. But, but am I right? How can you define a healthy sense of self if you're constantly exposed to messaging that yourself is wrong? You don't really like sushi, even though you've never even tried it. And just thinking about trying sushi is in itself wrong. And you proclaim to anyone listening in the restaurant, I hate sushi. <laughs> but you've never even tried it. Folks, welcome to Jehovah's Witnesses. That zombie stare or feeling of being completely lost can almost always be traced back to decades of messaging you didn't even realize was chipping away at who you are. Messaging that has either discouraged you from being yourself or shamed you once you gave in and acted on a being yourself. Physically doing something Jehovah's Witnesses condemn is obviously just wrong in their book, but just thinking about doing something is also wrong. Everything you desire in your normal progression through this thing we call life has an equally negative name, title, label, or connotation, and it all erodes your sense of self. You may be thinking, ah, what does he mean? Here are some examples that I'm sure will ring a bell, but before I get to the examples, a disclaimer for those who will want to argue the point. I'll save people from posting or sending messages, although they're always welcome. I fully realize doing immoral things that hurt others without their consent or making decisions that harm others as well as ourselves is bad. It is not a good thing, okay? For those who put morals on the, on the pedestal, I agree. I'm not here speaking on those terms. It's always bad to hurt yourself and others. I'm not saying things like, hey, you should steal a guy's wife if you want her. It's all part of who you are and your sense of self. No, I am not saying that. And I do believe we should try to avoid bad decisions. But what can't be ignored is the messaging that who you are as a person, your character, yourself, is going to subtly and constantly be called into question as a Jehovah's Witness. From very small things to much bigger things. So there's my disclaimer, got it out of the way. Okay, back to the examples 
of what I mean. Do any of these terms sound familiar? Let me know how they impacted you and your sense of self. It's all so subtle. Please tell me if some of this stuff didn't contribute to you doubting your own character and take what sustained messaging like this does to your personal sense of self. It's like water dropping on a rock. It just erodes your self-image and your identity. Here we go. Tell me if you recognize these. Who remembers the term leading a double life? <laughs> Who doesn't remember that badge of honor? During a highly formative time in your life in developing self and identity and figuring out who you are, a Jehovah's Witness is told that almost everything they want or do means they're leading a double life. That's right. And they love to get this messaging to kids. Do I need to discuss the many variations of the youth book or questions young people ask? Well, we're gonna. The youth book, chapter 2, page 16, pages 136 to 141, a double life. Who has to know? It asks this in a poll where you as a kid are supposed to get out a pin in their publication and check off the boxes. Have you ever as a young person done any of these things or gasp, thought about doing any of these things? Here they are, drinking alcohol, associating with people your parents view as bad company, listening to debasing music, attending rowdy parties, dating secretly, watching violent or immoral movies, or playing violent video games, using bad language. It says this, quote, look at the list on that previous page. Do you engage in any of those activities behind your parents' back? If so, you probably know that what you're doing is wrong, end quote. And as the chapter tells us, you, my friend, by just wanting things every human wants to experience, good or bad, are leading a double life. <laughs> and might I add, in my case on this subject, uh, let me just get out my pin here in the book. Check, check, uh, check, 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 uh, check, yep, check, uh, check, check. <laughs> Was I alone? Doubtful. There were endless parts in my day, I gave some of them, it's painful to say that, for teenagers on this subject. It covered everything from dating an unbeliever, to your friends at school, to sex, partying, sports, and even planning on taking your SATs so you could go to college. If you were considering or taking part in any of these things, you, my friend, were living a double life. If you did none of these things, you likely grew up to be a zombie. <laughs> a baptized Jehovah's Witness, and a good steady publisher, but a zombie with very little sense of self. Stacking experiences in life only adds to your decision on who you are. And sure, you're going to make some mistakes. But for any PB listening, you're going to make mistakes anyway. They're coming. See a past episode on Jehovah being inside your head. He's always there watching. But I guarantee you're going to make mistakes anyway. 
But in my case, there was plenty I didn't do. And let me tell you, some of those things being college, some of those things pursuing sports when I wanted to, uh, all sorts of things I could list here won't. But I know now that it contributed to my own malaise, those feelings of loss as an adult Jehovah's Witness. The people that I was in love with that I never dated, the colleges I never went to, the degree I didn't pursue, the friends that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses that I cared for, but I guess wasn't supposed to unless they were a Bible study. Drip, 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 drip. The erosion to your sense of self begins early for a Jehovah's Witness. You never stack experiences that contribute to who you are as a person, your identity and yourself. But how about another example? You're gonna recognize this one, folks. Let me just tell you all, your heart is treacherous. At Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse nine, the Bible gets into the act. It says, quote, the heart is more treacherous than anything else and is desperate. Who can know it? End quote. Oh yeah. The endless reminder that I'm a hot mess and I make bad decisions or I want bad things. Thank you. The irony with this one, I chose to stay in this religion. How do I know that staying is an evidence of my heart going sideways and being treacherous? <laughs> I can tell you in hindsight, it was. <laughs> but the whirlpool of doubt that this little publishing company creates by leveraging a book made centuries ago is nothing more than slow drip erosion. From the awake of July of 2007, pages 20 through 21, under the article, Is Being Good All That Matters? <laughs> oh, these guys. Quote, what is, the, sorry, what is the danger in choosing for ourselves what constitutes being good. We have all inherited a tendency to act selfishly. Yeah, that's how we stay alive. Back to the quote, our own hearts can deceive us. We could easily minimize the importance of God-given requirements that we construe to be difficult or restrictive. End quote. From the Watchtower of 1971, March 1st, pages 139 to 145, the article, The Human Heart is Treacherous. Quote, Our own experiences and the experiences of others remind us daily that one is not born with a good heart and a bent of mind toward righteousness. End quote. Take a minute, pause. And while a subject for another day, can you feel your heart beating? One in 400 trillion, my friends. Can you feel that thing beat? But according to Jehovah's Witnesses, drip, 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 drip. We've learned to not trust ourselves or to question our feelings or to question where our feelings come from. It's all just treachery. That heartbeat you're feeling, that you're enjoying in this moment that 
that is nothing more than an unbelievable miracle is treacherous. Not exactly a self-esteem booster, is it? Especially when it's rolled out after you make your first mistake. They're sure to remind you that that miracle beating in your chest is nothing more than treachery. You're not even bent on doing anything good. Needs a whole episode. But can you feel the drip? How about another example? This one really, really, truly deserves a full episode and will likely get it depending on a mood down the road. But I'm here to tell you that Jehovah's Witnesses and all of us by extension, if we want to live in paradise, we need to uh, put on the new personality. <laughs> How many of you finished that sentence with me? <laughs> oh, the irony. The irony of a God who claims to know me at conception then allows me to be born. Remember, he's the potter. He's shaping me. And then after being born, he then proceeds to ask me to uh, change my personality. <laughs> the personality he apparently was watching from conception that he formed. And no, folks, it isn't just commenting on morality and moral issues or moral faults. It means putting on the personality of a Jehovah's Witness and their organization and getting into that weekly schedule I shared with you earlier. Would you like an example? From the Watchtower of 2008, November 15th, pages 3 through 5, what kind of person do you want to be? We get this experience, and God, who doesn't love the experiences? Who doesn't miss these? The uncorroborated experience by some precious soul who himself was trying to form a sense of self. But then we get this, quote, the chief of police of a town in the Philippines asked a pioneer, what did you do to get that man to change his conduct? Pointing to the stack of papers on his desk, he added, did you know that all of these are records of past judicial cases against him? You have relieved us of one of our headaches in this town. The man in question had been a drunken brawler who constantly caused trouble. He apparently had never been to an elders meeting or barbecue. Uh, back to the quote, what moved him to make tremendous changes in his life? It was the inspired mission of God's word, the Bible, edition by me, that he could only study with Jehovah's Witnesses. But it continues and pays it, it, it continues here. Pay attention to the messaging and comparisons regarding personality. Quote, our making changes and progressing to the point of qualifying for baptism, though is only a beginning. When presenting ourselves for water immersion, we are much like a piece of wood that has been carved into a basic shape. The object is identifiable, but much work remains to be done. The carver still needs to add the finer details in order to make the object beautiful. At the time of baptism, we have the basic qualities required to be a servant of God. When we renovate an old house, it is not enough to paint the outside if there are rotten beams inside. Ignoring structural defects would only invite trouble later. Similarly, God, I hate that word, a veneer of uprightness is not enough. We must get to the core of our personality and recognize problems that need to be solved. 
Otherwise, old personality traits are bound to resurface. Self-scrutiny, then, is a must. End quote. My personality, my decisions, my feelings, even my mistakes make me not good enough. I guess I'm just an ugly piece of wood that wasn't carved correctly, or while I look good on the outside, I'm really just a rotting house. <laughs> All because I just wanted to try that cigarette, or have sex with that cute person, or go to college. My personality, my sense of self, who I am, all the good stuff, it's all buried under bad stuff. And I need to change a personality that Jehovah witnessed at conception, that he took part in forming, as the Bible tells me. He now wants to change it. Kind of like going back to the Mona Lisa and painting over her, or uh, even more power, powerful, I should say, taking something that you'll only see once in all the stream of time that came to us in a one in 400 trillion chance and now changing it. Drip, 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 drip. I'm not here trying to be a delicate little flower and encourage doing bad stuff. I'm not, I'm not trying to encourage doing dangerous things on your journey to self-discovery. But listen, guess what? It's inevitable. You're going to stack experiences that aren't the best. You're going to make decisions that aren't the best. But you must do them to have a sense of self. And I always sat back in stunned amazement. Where does this cult ever just say something like this? Hey, you're amazing. Not your best decision you just made right there, but forget it, forget it, forget it. Let's keep going. You are one in 400 trillion, baby. One in 400 trillion. Would it kill them to do that just once? Not only with an adult that's turned into a disassociated zombie in the kingdom hall, but how about to a kid? Even if you try the sushi and hated it, you're going to be reminded that it was a bad decision all along. Why it was a bad decision, why you're leading a double life and need a new personality because, well, the heart Jehovah has been watching since dad's sperm hit mom's egg, well, guess what? That heart is treacherous. <laughs> and one day as a Jehovah's Witness, you wake up enough to look around a kingdom hall during another boring meeting and you see the vacant stares of your fellow zombies check that sorry your fellow brothers and sisters many of which may be desperately trying to figure out who they are and how they got there decades of erosion to their sense of self until they just put on another tie or a dress that goes over the knee, sisters, no slits. And did the only thing they know how to do. Drive to the kingdom hall again. 
I've shared several times on this show how science and the medical community have done extensive research on the mind, psyche, personality, sense of self, identity. Around age two, children begin to develop a sense of self, which is an integral part of their social and emotional development. Between 24 and 36 months, your toddler goes through a lot of social, emotional, and cognitive growth. He or she is figuring out their likes and dislikes, growing towards individual bonds with people, participating in imaginative play, and becoming more independent with everyday tasks, trying things. All of this leads to him or her learning more about themselves or developing self-concept. Now I ask you to consider, just consider with me, if there's a correlation and a heavy impact to endless, constant messaging that says, don't trust your instincts. If you do, you're leading a double life and we need to talk because we need to help you develop a new personality. Could there at least be a connection between this and a grown adult who is suddenly sitting in a kingdom hall with no sense of self? After many years, my own therapy, and let me tell you, endless reflection, including what inspired this episode, I believe there is. I believe there really is. But it doesn't stop there for me. This subject is so deep, so pervasive for a Jehovah's Witness, that I believe there may be even more lurking below the surface on this subject of self. And look, as I do in the more serious episodes, I'm just going to say it, trigger warning. I have nothing but respect for people and their belief systems as long as it doesn't harm others. We all should respect others. We shouldn't persecute people for what they believe. We're all a little broken. We all have different thoughts. We all have different selves. So trigger warning. What follows is going to be highly controversial to some people, but it's not meant to offend. I ask you, here it comes. Does the Bible itself seem to chip away at our sense of self? In my opinion, the answer is a resounding yes. And listen, respectfully, I know I'm going to hear from the moralists or even honest-hearted, loving, wonderful Christians on this. I respect that, and I respect you. While much of this is about refining morals, the overall impact of constantly telling someone that they're terribly flawed should not be underestimated. And whomever you believe wrote the Bible, and Jehovah's Witnesses fully believe the Bible was written only for them, it has some messaging that can leave a person's psyche, persona, and identity pretty beat up. Some examples, you ask? Here's a few. From Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26, we get this from Jehovah, quote, Whoever trusts in his own heart is stupid but the one who walks in wisdom will escape." End quote. We're stupid. In Galatians 6, 3, quote, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. End quote. Uh, warm and fuzzy? 
Proverbs 26.12, quote, Have you seen a man who thinks he is wise? There is more hope for someone stupid than for him. <laughs> End quote. Three examples from a book inspired and written by Jehovah that tells us we're stupid, we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, we're really just nothing. And if we think we're smart, we're just more kinds of stupid. I get it. I'm dumb without God and should live in fear of my next decision. And let's just say it's all odd to me, considering I was made in, well, his image. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I'm stupid and dumb and I shouldn't trust myself, but I'm made in your image and you made, you've watched me since conception. I, how does anyone ignore this messaging cognitively? Would you say even those three verses, would you say stuff like that to an infant or to a child? No matter how you apply its context or message, ask yourself if it builds you up. Does it help you grow a healthy sense of self, of identity, of personality? But it just gets worse from there as if it possibly can. I mean, that's an oxymoron. It's inconsistent, the Bible that is, in its messaging about our personalities, including its examples of what a man of faith looks like, like, excuse me, of character building, of what good decisions are, and so much more. And I don't really know how anyone, much less a Christian or a Jehovah's Witness, can dismiss that. It's okay to recognize that there is good and bad in the Bible. And I do. I've read it multiple times. But a Jehovah's Witness is told to build their sense of self around this very book and their organization. And let's just say I'm about to lob from the deep corners of my mind a few things that just don't add up for me. And certainly didn't add to my sense of self. I can't imagine how they do for anyone's sense of self. As an example, or as a touchstone of something to look at on that journey. As you read the Bible, you see a lot of babies die. I get so pissed at that. Babies don't deserve to die. They don't deserve to die at the flood. A made-up story, in my opinion. It's absurd. They also didn't deserve to die because they happened to be born to parents who lived on a piece of property known as the Promised Land, and, well, Jehovah promised it to someone else, so we're going to kill babies now. As I opened the pages of the Bible to build my sense of self, I noticed that David, King David, caused the death of babies. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He volunteered 72,000 innocent people to die over a census sin. He stole things and a whole bunch more. Yet the Bible says he was a man after Jehovah's heart. Ha, huh, heart is treacherous. Never mind. And that's difficult, folks, to explain to a teenager who was about to be disfellowshipped and shunned until further notice for, I don't know, smoking a cigarette? I know how difficult it all is because, well, I did it. And then the Bible tells me in 2 Peter 2, 7, in building my sense of self, it tells me that Lot 
was a righteous man. But he liked booze. And did we mention that he had sex with both of his daughters? Now listen, I'm just a 16-year-old kid. She smiled at me and, well, we took off our clothes and we had sex. But let me tell you something, dear elder body and judicial committee, she wasn't my daughter. And you're disfellowshipping me for living a double life because that same treacherous heart that convinced me to get baptized at 10 years old is coming back to haunt me when I just want to have sex with a cute girl? If you think I'm trying to be funny, give it a second. Sit with it for a minute. This little example happens all the time. It's happening tonight in a congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I know because I was the kid with the girl, I knew about Lot, and well, I was also the elder. And well, no matter who you are in this little drama, at some point, and I'll speak from experience, you have a lucid moment watching this thing, participating in this thing, whether the kid or the elder getting rid of him, and all that led up to it, and you look in the mirror when you get home and you ask a simple question. Who the hell am I? What do I believe? Lot's a good guy, but I'm a bad guy or that kid is a bad guy? Who the hell am I? And for most Jehovah's Witnesses, they beat those thoughts, the doubts, into submission. And they drive to the Kingdom Hall. Their sense of self has been eroding for decades. Or possibly their sense of self never even developed. And some guy named Judge Joe started this stuff, and he's been succeeded by guys in New York's who have become masters at doing this stuff. If what I've stated isn't enough for you, please explain to me how an estimated 8 million people are supporting a teaching that generations overlap. That I overlap with my great-great-grandfather that I never met. <laughs> Despite a witness's brain saying, uh, generations don't ever lap, they either fight the voice that screams out with whatever sense of self they have, or they default to an empty soul that has no sense of self. They accept it, and they nod their heads. And if you're the Watchtower study conductor, you stare out at people wondering if they feel the same. If you're in the audience, you look around the kingdom hall. If you're a stranger today, you just take a few minutes to watch him standing next to a book cart. But in my experience, there were times I found myself asking basic questions as I tried to figure out who I was at different stages in my life. As a fatherless boy, I suppose my biggest questions was this, why don't you like me, Jehovah? You were there in the beginning. I'm one in 400 trillion. Why don't you trust me? Something's off. Something's off here. 
Your book says at Psalms 139, 13 through 16, it says this, quote, For you produced my kidneys. You kept me screened off in my mother's womb. I praise you because in an awe-inspiring way, I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes even saw me as an embryo. All its parts were written in your book regarding the days when they were formed before any of them existed. End quote. Who we are seems pretty important to Jehovah and to the point where he was admiring our sense of self why we were a mere fetus. You admired me personally and anyone listening to this crazy show before we even existed. Why do you now want to take that all away from me? Why? I'm one in 400 trillion. And since you seem to know who I was before I was even conceived, can you tell me who the hell I am now? Imagine the moment I realized that Jehovah himself may have a problem with this. That Jehovah, the author of the Bible, may have no sense of self. Just check out the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Or maybe Malawi versus Mexico. The Bible writers seem to have had a hard time nailing down Jehovah's true character. Maybe Jehovah needs to own this whole mess in this subject of self. Moses, <laughs> shifting gears, was a little late once. You might remember the people were upset. They made a golden calf. Jehovah just wants to kill them all and kills quite a few. But then Jehovah, in exposing his true sense of self at Exodus 32, 14, says, quote, So Jehovah began to reconsider the calamity that he had spoken of bringing on his people. End quote. Ah, change of heart. We as people do that all the time. I'm sure the people who wrote that weren't, yeah, never mind. <laughs> Jehovah clearly had a solid sense of self there himself. As an example, I know when my son was a toddler, he once said he loved his mother more than me, so I just punished him for it and beat him since, ah, uh, never mind. Sarcasm. I was made in his image. <laughs> this subject of the sense of self and how we build who we are, really the greatest treasure we own, ourselves, one in 400 trillion, is a fascinating one when compared under the microscope of Jehovah's Witnesses. The message of Jehovah's Witnesses is one of conformity. Your sense of self is their sense of self. If you don't conform right down to your personality, there are several labels that get thrown at you. You recognize these, I'm sure. Bad association, weak, fringe, disobedient, rebellious, marked, immoral. There are more <laughs> off the top of my head. Jehovah's Witnesses want obedience. 
And that sense of control is the earmark of a cult. It's pitched at every meeting, every convention, every JW broadcasting, and certainly every publication. If you want to argue that with me, dear Pimo or Pimi or someone on the fence, go out tonight and get that tattoo you always wanted. Show it off at the next meeting. Your sense of self allows you to get that. The Bible doesn't comment on it. Why are you getting the reaction you are? Wear a slim-fitting pair of pants if you're a brother. Lose your razor for a couple weeks. Disagree with something the governing body says. In one of the great ironies of all, they preach free will as they reach into your soul and they take it from you. In the end, despite being a one in 400 trillion miracle, you are just a cog in the machine. The leadership loves it. They call it things like worldwide unity, when in reality, it's really just worldwide conformity. I always go back to childhood, and one of my favorite authors, absolutely love this person, was Madeline Langell. Wrinkle in Time was an all-time classic for me. But there's something she said in her book, A Circle of Quiet, that has always resonated with me, and it kept me encouraged on my journey, a continuing journey, I might add, to find myself. She said this, quote, A self is not something static, tied up in a pretty parcel and handed to the child, finished and complete. A self is always becoming. End quote. Just attend a meeting of Jehovah's Witnesses and look around at the audience. You'll see it. You'll hear it. Just listen to whoever's on the stage. I promise if you listen closely, you'll see it and you'll hear it. I used to be one of the guys on that stage doing it. And I can still hear myself. I can still hear it. Drip. 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 Tonight we're going to talk about how to look, how to speak, what to think, and how to feel. Tonight, like every night, we're going to continue to erode your sense of self. Ask yourself what Jehovah's Witnesses are taking from you. And friends, in a final recommendation, try the sushi. <laughs> try the sushi. If you know, you know. Wherever you may be, thank you for listening. I'm so grateful for each of you. Until next week, be well.